serving a, a charity or a non-profit or being in a business and just trying to do something good for your customers, which which will be good for business and it will be good for the bottom line. It's uh, I think the role that we have is just to enable people and encourage people and allow them to let that goodness emerge because it is there. In reflecting on the last year, or just less than a year, and the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on industries around the world, it's hard to imagine a sector that's been more profoundly affected than travel, and specifically airlines within that category. So knowing that, what kind of individual, what kind of person starts an airline in the aftermath of a global pandemic? Well, I happen to know just such an individual. My guest on the One-Eyed Man podcast today is Gidon Novik, and he's a name and a face that will be familiar to many listeners. He is a prominent South African entrepreneur, well-known for his work in Kalula, in Discovery, in an incredible business called SA Harvest, which he'll speak about a little bit later when we talk about value creation and impact. And more recently, uh, he's made headlines with the announcement that he's starting a new airline and that he's outsourced the naming of that airline to customers. This is something that we discuss amongst many other topics. I'm privileged to call Gidon a friend. He has acted as a mentor and a sounding board many times in my career and in my life. And I'm extremely excited to present you with this short conversation with Gidon Novik. Enjoy. Gid, many of the people that listen to the show will be familiar with you because you would have been the face in the opening page of the Kaluma magazine a couple of years ago. It was a letter from up high from the boss. And uh, many of us would have become familiar with you through our early experiences of that brand. And you've kind of come full circle in a way. But catch us up for those of us who haven't had the privilege of uh, knowing you personally over the last couple of years. Catch us up on what you've been doing since you left that business. Yeah, so I was um, actually as a child, Mark, I, I grew up around airplanes. My father was in the airplane business his whole life. And uh, so it was a very kind of normal thing. And I always kind of had in my head this idea that I was going to somehow be involved with airplanes. I learned to fly when I was um, in my early 20s, and that was quite fun. But was really interested in the, in the business side of flying. So I had some you know, fantastic early experiences, Kalula being one of them. It actually started a little bit before that, well, obviously as a kid, but when I was studying overseas, there was one guy who I had huge admiration for as a leader, and his name was Curb uh, Kelleher, mm-hmm. and he ran and started Southwest Airlines, which okay. was not only an incredible airline and today one of the most successful in the world, but just an incredible organization and culture and, and way of doing things. And, and really kind of uh, revolutionized, I think, a lot of culture thinking and leadership thinking. And I ended up uh, meeting him when I was studying in Chicago and I met Herb Kelleher. And, and that was a yeah, very, very formative experience. And then to come back and get involved in, in the industry was, was great. I learned that it's actually a very hard industry and um, not all glamour and, you know, lots of, uh, lots of big challenges, I suppose, like, like any business and any, in, any real endeavor. But yeah, that was the start of the journey. And that chapter ended about 10 years ago, as you said. Tell me about that meeting with Herb. What, were there moments or things that he said or pills of wisdom that he shared with you that kind of stuck with you through, through your professional journey? Yeah, I mean, he, it's just a, he, he really was an incredible guy. Anyone who's interested in culture and, and leadership, he, he wrote a book called Nuts. Um, and he was a bit of a crazy guy, but he, he had that, that incredible balance of being like very left field, but also very extremely sharp. 
And um, I remember when he came to our um, university and he like, he walked around the room and we had like a little welcoming um, function for him. And he remembered everybody's name. I've got a strange name and he remembered my name. And I thought, gee, what this guy, you know, is just, you know, a very special guy. And then he was giving his presentation to the business school and he insisted on having a bottle of bourbon which we all thought he was maybe going to pour himself a bourbon and drink it before or after the talk. But he, he was having none of that. He actually had the bottle while he was talking. And every time he took a break, he took a swig of, of bourbon. <laughs> and that was, you know, that was this, uh, this incredible character that, yeah. So, I mean, he had some very interesting stories. The one was he had some legal dispute with one of his competitors in America. And the dispute was going on and on and on. And eventually he said, okay, um, and he went out, he was very good at PR as well. And he said, uh, this thing is going to be settled by virtue of an arm wrestle. And he got the CEO of the company he was fighting with and they sat down the press, obviously lapped it up and they had this arm wrestle. And I think he lost the arm wrestle <laughs> and had to um, pay the case. But it was just, you know, one of those um, very kind of unusual approaches that he that he had so yeah so that was very interesting and, and quite formative for me I suppose in terms of where I ended up going and that, I mean that kind of thinking was a big part of your approach um, certainly in this, and it has been a constant in your entrepreneurial journey is taking experiences from a customer perspective that are kind of commoditized uh, very predictable um, and I mean almost every airline when you jump on the airline and get the security speech you get the same spiel if you fly enough or have the privilege of flying enough you can almost rattle it off word by word you know because you've experienced it so many times and you know I got the sense certainly your impact on the industry up front was to go let, let's look at all the things that people experience as being kind of normal and make them interesting uh introduce a new perspective on it uh, add a level of humor or self-awareness or whatever it might be um is that very much part of your leadership style and part of the the, the way you approach culture I, I think so it's just you know it's I've, I've always been curious and i've always been a little bit irritating to a lot of people in the sense that i want to know why things are the way they are and why they are done the way they are and sometimes there's good reasons often there's very good reasons why there's a certain way of doing things but you know maybe on the margin in the 10 percent or 20 percent of times there's a there's no good reason and they're just done the way they are because that's the way they've always been done so so i think identifying those opportunities maybe around the edges is firstly a lot of fun because it, you know it really does um fire up those creative juices in our brains it gives people a lot of energy you know people i, I think people are naturally creative their creativity has just been suppressed by, you know, years and years of being told to do things in a certain way. So I really do love that um, environment where people around me are just questioning things, coming up with ideas. A lot of them don't work, won't work. That's fine. So we'll move on to the next idea. Um, and that is a beautiful part of, you know, the, the kind of environments that I'm lucky enough to work in with, at the moment, pretty small teams, but definitely people that that are open to that and, you know, don't have big egos so that if the idea is shot down, it's fine. Then there's another idea. Uh, just a small example of that, Mark, which is a, a recent one, is we've been having to come up with a name for our new airline and, and we were struggling. And uh, even our agency, you know, came up with some names which I don't think were suitable. And then we were busy, like, in the office talking about what about this name, what about that name. And then I was thinking, but why don't we ask everybody, like, everybody in the country what they think about the name and 
we just sent out a few press releases and it, uh, it, it, you know, it, was, it got a lot of attention because it was a quite a cool thing. Like people, I've heard about families that were driving on, you know, trips with the rest of the family and they, half the trip they were debating what the names would be. And then they went on our website and uh, in the end we got 25,000 uh, suggested names. So it was just like a, just a small example of, you know, how it was a different approach. Uh, not the first time in the world. There have been other cases, you know, where that's happened. But it was, uh, yeah, just a different way of solving, solving a problem that we had. That was definitely going to be on my list of things to ask about. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, man. No, 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 I'll definitely get back to that one. But you make such a great point around um, there are industries where, for whatever reason, sometimes it's related to security or uh, customer well-being or just, uh, like we said earlier on, the commoditization of a particular service where a lot of assumptions are made about the way we should do something. Uh, or the way it should be approached. And as you said, sometimes when you ask the question, why is it that way? The only suitable answer that somebody can come up with is because it's the way we've always done it. It's, you know, that's, why, why, why change a winning formula sort of mentality? And the interesting thing about those margins or the edges as you, as you put them in an eloquent way is even the slightest improvement on that experience or the tiniest change can have a, a massive benefit in terms of surprise element or novelty element or even measurable value to the client. It's just interesting that so so few organizations that are incumbents, that aren't startups, that aren't challenger brands, think of it in that way. I mean, I, I was flying uh, recently to Cape Town and, and I, uh, I flew Safair and I had to laugh because in the disembarkment announcement, the flight attendant says, you know, just want to thank you so much for choosing Safair because you had the choice of so many airlines. And I was like, I really didn't. Uh, <laughs> it was you guys or you guys. <laughs> that was my choice. But obviously, because it's, it's what they always say, it's, it's what they always say. I'm not going to change it. But I mean, to that point, this is a really strange time for, I mean, the, the travel industry in general, but especially for airlines. We've watched uh, really well-established, long-serving businesses uh, decimated by the unpredictability of the COVID crisis. And I guess there might have been some people who heard about what you were doing and what you crea were creating that said, well, that seems, a, that seems a, a decision against the flow of traffic. You know, uh, get on is swimming upstream. Tell us a little bit about what, as much as you can, about what led to this choice. Why start an airline now um, in this moment? Sure. So I'll, I'll, I, will, I will answer that question, but I just wanted to ask you one. Have you ever used the word disembark in your normal uh, daily life? Or have you ever heard anybody use that word? I, I don't disembark. think Disembark. Yeah. I mean, where does that come from? Like we were actually joking about the other day that we are never, ever going to use the word disembark because it's, yeah. not, it's not a word that normal people use. You get, you're leaving the plane. You're getting off. You're not yeah. disembarking. So we're going we're gonna to try and take disembark. Um, out of our uh, <laughs> language, but um, so listen, it's been just what, you know what a time in the world, and you know very, very, very difficult time for for so many, and uh, myself included. Just to share a little bit, and I will answer your question, but just to share like a sense of trauma that I felt, and many have over the last seven months, in terms of what's happened in the world, and this feeling that. It's, it's difficult, it's challenging, so many people struggling and suffering. And that's, that's a very difficult, I find that a very difficult place to be. And my antidote always with those feelings, I've had them before, where, where you know, one kind of borderline helplessness, like 
you know, things are really bad and, and what does the future hold? And I've always dealt with that, those situations with, uh, with a sense of what can be done? What could we be doing? Where's the opportunity? Where's the light? And there always is a light. You know, that is the consistent thing. There always is a light. Books that were written uh, during the Holocaust with, you know, uh, people that had a sense of hope that there was some light, whatever hope, and that hope actually helped them survive, that, that tiny, tiny, tiny sense of hope that a few people had. So that's been part of the way that I've seen things. And, and, and in this particular context, yes, airlines have all around the world have imploded and disappeared and cut back and people weren't flying for a long time and uh, are starting to fly again. And, uh, and, and there was, I think, a real opportunity to start something, not only because there were so many that had fallen by the wayside, but because, you know, suddenly it was inexpensive to get aircraft and inexpensive to get uh, maintenance facilities and, 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 uh, and a lot of things started looking really, really attractive. So, yeah, so that's the context. And, you know, and what we're starting to see, I think, with let's hope the, you know, heading towards the end of COVID in some way is that so many things in the world are going to continue. Oh, and cool. one of those things which, which gives me great hope and great enthusiasm and, and happiness is, is that human connection will continue. And we have learned through this journey of doing what we're doing now, being on Zoom, that this does not replace human contact and human interaction. And in fact, our very um, happiness and, uh, is dependent on human connection which, you know, has, has a consequence in terms of people needing to travel and see their friends and their families and their business partners and, and all of that. So that's a bit of context. Yeah, I think uh, certainly, I mean, the point of, of having access to resources that might not have been available at the same price point makes obvious sense. And I'm sure that there will be some sort of leveling out in the playing field and over the next years, because I, I imagine it's going to take some time for us um, to get over the trauma, uh, you know, practically and, and kind of emotionally of, of the last couple of months. But when you think about, I guess one of the things that you do have at this point in time is the luxury of thinking differently about um, the product and about people's experiences of it. And how has, and I mean, you've alluded to this slightly, but I want maybe to dig a little yeah. deeper into how the last nine months have made you think differently about the customer experience of travel and how that might translate to a different experience for me is that, you know, when, when I book my first uh, ticket with you guys, what, what will the experience uh, be like? So I think um, many, many businesses, you know, build their service, their products around a system that, you know, is bound by many rules and regulations. I mean, the airline industry is very regulated. There's safety issues. And now with COVID, there's safety protocols. And, you know, before you know it, there's just tons and tons of layers of rules and compliance and, and, and things that, that have to be in place. And again, many of them with good reason. But the customer gets forgotten because the customer is actually just really, you know, this person that's going to come through that has to abide by all these rules. And, and if they don't abide by the rules, there's some consequence or penalty or reprimand or, or something. And, and I think that's a shame because obviously the customer is the source of any business. Uh, but the customer has functional needs which need to be filled. They need to get on the plane. They need to be safe. They need to get to where they're going safely. But then they have emotional um, needs most times. Uh, have a level of anxiety. So if you take flying, flying is anxiety provoking. Uh, many people are afraid of flying. They're afraid of being late. They're afraid that they, 
may want to change their flight and, um, and may not be able to. They're afraid that their luggage may be too heavy. So there's just these layers of anxiety. And, and where, we are, where we're coming at, at it from is, you know, let's, let's really be aware of those, mindful of those, and let's see where we can address those. Because we're dealing with people, we're dealing with humans. And, and as you say, even if, and it's such a brilliant, point, even if you do it around the margin, even if what we do is 80% the same as what the other guys do, but 20% different, and, and, but that 20% is meaningful and insightful and thoughtful, I think we can make a real difference, not only in terms of our business and we can get more customers or maybe they'll pay us a little more than other guys. But I, I just think like it really isn't just about making money and looking at, you know, that's, you know, you got to do that. Others, the business won't exist, but to have, you know, a mission or, or a desire to genuinely make people better off, make them happier. And particularly in this environment where people are traumatized and, and sad and um, anxious, it's, uh, it is very rewarding, you know, to be able to be introducing something um, and to be working on something that, that, that brings light and upliftment to people. So that's a real motive. And the conversations we have internally are, a lot of it is about that. Yes, how can we be more efficient? How can we, but it's, it's, it's really trying to uh, make people feel better and, and help them through their lives in, in a small way. If this is your first time listening to The One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one. It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or The One-Eyed Man channel with, well, all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, if that's okay. Please, um, of course. I think this is a fascinating topic, and it's a topic that I don't think is limited to your in industry. I mean, we could be having the same conversation if we were talking about financial services or people's declining trust in, in centralized institutions and banks or whatever it might be. Oh, hell, I'm kicking the desk yep. down about this. The question I want to ask is, yes, Flying is an anxiety-inducing activity. I have two members of my family that don't enjoy flying. Uh, it's something that we have to think about preparing for in advance to ensure that they have a, a better experience. But, but it's not because any of them have been involved in, in, a, you know, in a tragic... It's just something that has kind of, as you said, sometimes a level of irrational fear associated with it. My question is, sure, your job is to alleviate, absorb, create the conditions for people to have a better experience of traveling. But how much onus is also on the customer to play ball, right? And what I mean by that is one of my constant, and I'm being very, very selfish here, but I'm just going to come right out. One of my constant frustrations at the airport is standing in a queue of people where they clearly have overloaded their luggage and are just hoping to get by or they haven't read the instructions and have brought a golf bag with hoping that they can escape without having to pay for the extra luggage or getting on the plane and whining about what's not available or what is available or sitting in the wrong damn seat and slowing things down or being late and then begging to get onto the plane. Or there is a responsibility in this relationship between me and the airline because of those regulatory limitations to do my part as a customer. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that there's a bunch of people like me who would pay a premium <laughs> to be a part of a community of travelers who aren't going to mess with a system like that because I know that it has an ongoing impact on the efficacy of the delivery of your product in the same way that 
in an insurance environment, I'm paying for the lowest common denominator, right? Um, I very often am, am subsidizing the worst customer in, you know, is there a part of it that you think about that's on, and I mean, I know it's probably not uh, politically correct to say that, but the customer also has a responsibility. They need to up yeah. their game in terms of participating in the quality of the, because it is, as you said, it's a, it's a highly competitive and commoditized environment. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, one does have to be clear. There are parameters and those parameters need to be clearly communicated. But, you know, it's quite a shame if the whole system in any system, not a, just an, an airline process, but if any system is designed around that rogue 1%, 5%, whatever that small number is, yeah. it's just such a shame for the 95% of people that are honest, that are responsible, that are reasonable to build a whole system around the 5% that you're trying to prevent from doing selfish things or irresponsible things is a shame. And, and one has to have processes for the 5%. But I think the challenge is to build a process for the 5% that doesn't impact the 95%. So in your example, and one of the things we're working on is there are going to be situations at the airport with baggage where people come and they've got too many bags or they're too heavy or whatever. How are we going to deal with it? Um, and how we're not going to deal with it is we're not going to hold you up and we're not going to have a whole long queue. We will take that person aside. We'll deal with it. We will sort it out, but not at the expense of, of creating a whole process, which currently is the case where, you know, that person's got to go and they've got to go somewhere else and pay more and come back. And so, so I think those are the kind of things that need to be created with the 95% in uh, forefront in our minds. How are we going to, how are we going to create an experience for them? But at the same time, just, you know, obviously, you know, make sure that people are reasonable. I, I love the idea, and um, we were busy debating it, of a, of a fair usage policy. Mm. Now, what is a fair usage policy? A fair usage is just to, saying to the customer, just, we're going to be reasonable as long as you're reasonable. Uh, like, for example, with, I don't know, with internet, which is, you know, internet usage, uh, com some companies offer a fair usage. You can use as much as you like, but be fair. You can't, you know, have your Netflix streaming 24 hours a day. That's not fair. Uh, that's not fair to everybody else. Hmm. So I think that building of trust is important. You know, there is so little of it. And in the absence of trust, what does one have? Lots and lots and lots and lots of rules. And yeah. um, it's, uh, it's easy. You know, rules are easy. Anybody can make rules. I think that's very easy to just say, well, here's all the rules. Here's the rule book. To all your staff, make sure you just abide by the rule book. If anybody breaks the rules, you, you'll be fired. And, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's an easy way of doing things. But I think, I think a lot is being left on the table and, um, and a lot of opportunities being lost with that approach. So I have, and I've written about this before, but I have a, an unhealthy amount of my ego wrapped around that stupid number that is my Uber rating. That <laughs> I'm, I'm deeply self-conscious about the fact that I don't have a higher Uber rating and I lie awake at night obsessing over what I might have said um, to a driver to upset him uh, when it hopefully what actually happened was he just pressed one star instead of five stars but it's possible that I really upset somebody and <laughs> I mean we've seen the emergence of services where a, a lot of responsibility is mirrored back on the uh, client because there is this kind of rating methodology in, in place and there's a fair amount of, of thinking that goes into how to cater the service towards customers that have performed in a positive or um, a constructive way. Are you influenced by these new platforms at all when you think about designing services? I mean, might it get to the point where you, I, flight attendants are rating my behavior as to whether or not I switch my, my phone on or off? You know, what are your, 
Yeah, have you thought at all about that, or in what other ways are you maybe influenced by the Ubers and the Airbnbs of the of the world? Yeah, so one of the most exciting things about the airline project is that the guy driving it is uh, Jonathan Ayash, and he he came out of Uber, um, oh. Southern Africa. He was there at the start seven years ago, and uh, and really has um, was instrumental with one or two other other people in uh, in building up Uber, and just the way that he thinks, the way he approaches things, is so uh, refreshing and and crisp in terms of the customer journey and 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 they you know they've just they've created an unbelievable customer journey with lots and lots of hard work and many iterations and constant innovation so that kind of thinking is is really really helpful and yeah and we're trying to obviously within practical uh, bounds we're trying to implement as, as much of that thinking as possible so you mentioned the naming experiment earlier on, the, um, which, as you said, has been done before to greater or lesser degrees of effectiveness. And it is only because of my prevailing love and respect for you that I didn't submit Plainly Mac Plainface as a suggestion for the airline. Other people did, by the way. No, no, no. Yeah. I, uh, that was the safest bet that ever there was. <laughs> that that yeah. airline Mac airline face might have come through as a suggestion, but um, has anything surprised you about that experience? Because it's quite a bold thing to do. And do you imagine you might include the customer in other parts of your uh, innovation journey in future? I think so. It's definitely got us thinking about exactly that. It was an impulsive thing to do. Um, we had no idea what the response would be. It's really interesting to get into the heads of people and, you know, almost like I mean, just with this exercise, there were, there were many, many, you know, different names and, but like some real trends in terms of like how people think about just naming. Um, naming is actually very difficult. It's not, it's not an easy thing to come up with a name. It's very, it caused me uh, stress for at least two or three months just thinking about this name and then falling in love with it and then telling my mother and she told, she, she tells me it's a terrible name and then I, you know, start, start doubting it and then I, get onto a new name and try and get comfortable with it. So it's, so it's quite a process. And um, yeah, it's just interesting how people think, interesting how they, you know, certain trends, like, like one of the names that I won't tell you the real name because we're going to, we're going to um, release it in a couple of days, but the, like, like Ubuntu was like a huge, I think two or 300 people that love that love the word Ubuntu. It's yeah. Interesting how people's uh, think in a similar way. But it's also interesting how um, I think sometimes creativity is limited and people think in a, in a, like what we were saying, they think in a, they go down a certain direction and it's the few, it's a few people that actually break out and, and think about it in a, in a very different creative way. Well, I, I know I'm one of many people that's excited to see the, the big reveal and, uh, and of course also to book the first, uh, first tickets, man. I'm looking forward to being a, a valued customer of the, uh, and hopefully if there is a rating, keeping my rating high. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is not the only thing that you are busy with and the only thing that you care about. I know that during lockdown, you spoke earlier on about seeing and then and taking action to enable light and hope. Um, can you talk to me about some of the other projects you're involved in? And I know there are people that will be listening to this and watching this that are going, wow, like, where does this, where does this positivity and this initiative come from? Because a lot of people, I think, are feeling quite deflated at the moment. Um, talk to us a little bit of what else you're involved in and maybe, maybe people listening to this can get involved too. So lockdown was, a, again, a crazy experience for all of us. We had started an organization called SA Harvest. Um, about six months before lockdown, obviously with no knowledge of what was coming. 
And the organization is a food rescue organization. So basically, in a nutshell, there's um, massive volumes of excess food. About a third of all food goes to waste around the world and in South Africa as well. And uh, there's somewhere around 10 to 15 million people that are undernourished um, in, in our country, which is, a, which is a massive number. So the thing with food is that there's plenty of it around. And, in, and we're actually a, a very food-rich country. But through various um, reasons, we can't get into them now. But, you know, a good nutritious food doesn't get into the hands of people that need it. Uh, and certainly doesn't get into their hands at a at an affordable price. So SA Harvest sources this food that would have gone to waste, or certainly some of it, uh, from retailers, from farmers, from restaurants, gets it to beneficiary organizations who prepare meals for their recipients. Uh, so we were chugging along slowly pre-lockdown. We had some restaurants on board. We had one single truck in Cape Town uh, that was driving parked outside my house. And uh, it was just a bit frustrating because we thought we had like, really important work to do. And we were doing it on a very small scale. But lockdown changed all of that because suddenly the problem was uh, massive. And, uh, and, we actually, and we were actually able to source a lot of food that was in the system that wasn't able to get to where it needed to go. And we were able to access uh, very uh, significant volumes of good food. And, uh, and so the organization really got a, a massive boost from a funding point of view. People all of a sudden were very aware about hunger. It's, it's such a strange thing or crazy thing. Like hunger's not a new thing. Um, hunger's been you know, an issue in this country for a very, very long time. But now it was forefront in, in many people's minds. So we were able to raise some good funding and, and really just get the organization into a, a very good uh, space of building capability and infrastructure and technology, hiring some amazing people from industry actually, and uh, and and doing our thing. So it's going well, and it's uh, it's a proper organisation, and it's it's got a massive massive uh, obligation in terms of what it needs to do in the future. But yeah, that's that's a, the short kind of summary. But it, it, it was completely circumstantial. You know, if, if not for lockdown, I suspect we would be kind of chugging along and trying to get people to get, to care about hunger and. Fortunately, it sounds strange to say that, but fortunately, I think people actually care a lot more than they did Certainly. seven months ago. Well, well, we'll include the links to SA Harvest in the show notes so that people can look and visit the website and contribute if, if they're interested or find other ways to get involved. But um, yeah, I just want to, from a personal perspective, but I think on behalf of many South Africans, just thank you for your, you know, your positivity, for your proactivity, for constantly uh, moving forwards, it's uh, you know it's such a pleasure knowing you personally and being able to tap into some of that inspiration on on a regular basis. And I'm just I'm super excited to see what's going to happen next. And uh, yeah, I have no doubt it's going to contribute uh, enormous value as it always does. Thank you, man. Thanks, Mark. And and just just to say, and I, I don't know if you've still got time, but just you know we talked about people's innate creativity. The other thing which I think humans are starting to learn is we all have. We all have innate goodness. You know, the goodness is just masked by all stuff that forms over time. So like part of the job is just to peel away the, the stuff and get people back to their goodness, whether it's serving a, a charity or a nonprofit or being in a business and just trying to do something good for your customers, which, which will be good for business and it will be good for the bottom line. But it's, uh, I think the role that we have is just to enable people and encourage people and allow them to let that goodness emerge because it is there. Sure. Don't know if I could have said that better myself. Thank you so much, Ged. I wish you the very best this weekend. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing those announcements and, and, and big news items breaking. 
Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. Look after yourself, friend. Go well. Cheers, mate. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com, click on the podcast link, and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.